0: Years ago, I treated a patient who fits the profile, a teenage boy who suffered from what I would describe as an identity disorder. This boy fancied himself a beast. During our therapy, he reported a moment of clarity. He understood in that moment he was an animal born in the body of a man. Kept a solitary life. He would hide and behave in ways resembling animal behavior. This kind of psychosis doesn't just slip through the system. Somewhere, someone would have noticed this.
1: This psychosis, he got inside of it somehow, tamed it, made a suit of it.
2: He's an engineer. He understands engineering, he knows how to build. Built his beast.
1: I'll say that's a attitude fit for darkness. Not knowing what else to say, or
0: pretending that it ain't familiar. You're listening to the Casey Ferguson Show.
3: Karen, you are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show.
1: I would rather
4: play Naked Twister with every one of the Golden Girls.
3: (laughs) Yes, it's Casey Ferguson here, the Chuck Wepner of the podcast world, ready to knock down greatness here on my first episode of 2018. Or at very least, step on its toe. Yeah, you do that their new compilation best of fear that was primal fear kicking off episode 38 with a track called every time it rains as i said this is the first episode of 2018 so i'm coming out swinging and striking fear into this year ron bumblefoot fall who played guitar for an obscure band called guns and roses for eight years before forming the supergroups art of anarchy and sons of apollo will be here actor ryan lambert aka rudy from the film the monster squad will be here plus thunderous tunes on the way from the reed effect lynch mob blackwater rising lucky boys confusion and more as we kick things off with a bang. So hold on to something nailed down. This is Burden of the Sky on the Casey Ferguson Show. Jammin', you're listening to the casey ferguson show i
4: would like the record to show that i would rather sleep in a bunk bed under oprah
3: new EP is Strange Curiosity. That was the Reed Effect down in here, Blackwater rising in there as well with Foolish Pride, and first to the punch was Burden of the Sky with Starting Over. I've had the pleasure of interviewing both of those last two bands. You can check out those interviews and several others in the print section of caseyfergusonshow.com. Well, cats, there are a million fucking cliches out there, and you probably hear them as often as I do. At a certain point, many people don't even stop to question them anymore. But that's not me. I tend to question everything, and if there are facts that can confirm or deny these philosophies, then I feel I owe it to myself to them. I may be something of an idealist, but that doesn't mean I'm not realistic. Sometimes it makes more sense to search the internet than the soul, especially when the answer you're seeking is about a broader truth and not just what is true in your experience. For instance, once a cheater, always a cheater. You've heard people say it, but is it actually true? There might be more weight to the phrase than you think, according to a new study from the University of Denver. For the study, which was recently published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior, researchers had 484 people, 68% of whom were women, answer questions about at least two different romantic relationships. Of all the study participants, 44% reported having sex with someone outside of their current relationship during their study. Additionally, 30% of people reported finding out that their partner was unfaithful during the study. The researchers found that people who reported cheating in their first relationship were more than three times like to report being unfaithful in their second relationship than people who didn't cheat. Those who knew that their previous partners had cheated on them were twice as likely to have their next partners do the dirty on them, too. Suspicion also appeared to be hard to shake, as people who suspected their first relationship partners of cheating were four times more likely to report suspicion in later relationships. You might be thinking, well, shit, Casey, that's only one fucking study. Unfortunately, their finding is backed up by past research, too. (coughs) One 2016 study found that among people who had cheated in former relationships, 30% cheated on their current partners. That's compared to only 13% of those who had never been unfaithful whatsoever. Neil Garrett, a researcher at Princeton Neuroscience and co-author of the study, said in an interview with Elite Daily, what our study and others suggest is a powerful factor that prevents us from cheating is our emotional reaction to it, how bad we feel essentially, and the process of adaption reduces this reaction, thereby allowing us to cheat more. Holy shit! He added, with serial cheaters, it could be the case that they initially felt bad about cheating but have cheated so much they've adapted to their ways and simply don't feel bad about cheating anymore. Another possibility is that they never felt bad about cheating to begin with, so they they didn't need adaption to occur. They were comfortable with it from the get-go. ASSHOLES! So does that really mean a cheater can never change? Not necessarily. What these studies prove is that a cheater is more likely to cheat again, not that they actually will. Look, in the end, the odds are against you if you're in a relationship with a cheater, but now that you know the odds, it's up to you how you play them. Why don't
1: you make like a banana and shit?
3: Back to the music, this is Lucky Boy's Confusion on the Casey Ferguson Show. and too cold to hold you are listening to the Casey Ferguson show
2: we were thinking not very hard but you're fired yeah we hate you
3: that was Sons of Apollo coming home, and before that from the Mutant League Records compilation Signs of Life was Lucky Boy's confusion with Storm Chaser. My first guest on this episode of the Casey Ferguson Show is Ron Thal, a.k.a. Bumblefoot. Ron is the guitarist of Sons of Apollo, yes, the band you just heard. Dig on this lineup. In addition to Bumblefoot, you have Billy Sheehan from David Lee Roth and Mr. Big on bass, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater and Winery Dogs on drums, Derek Sherinian, who's played keys for Black Country Communion and Alice Cooper, and Jeff Scott Soto, who sang with Journey and Yngwie Malmstein on lead vocals. Forget a supergroup, these guys are fucking assassins. Bumblefoot is also the guitarist of Art of Anarchy, featuring among others Scott Stapp from Creed and John Moyer from Disturbed. Oh, yeah, he also played guitar for a fledgling band called Guns N' Roses for eight years. Anyhow, this is the second part of our conversation. If you missed the first part of our interview, you'll find it on episode 37 of this show, available at caseyfergusonshow.com. Ron and I left off talking about his song, Don't Know Who to Pray To Anymore, so we'll pick it up there. This is the second and final part of my conversation with Ron bumblefoot Thal on the Casey Ferguson Show. Here's a quote from you about the song. This is a song that speaks for those that feel lost, betrayed, disillusioned, when we question all we believe in, when we start to lash out and punish ourselves. This is a song about being in this place, in our own personal purgatory. We know we need to heal, but we're not ready to let go. Now, Ron, I recently found myself in that place, so first off, I want to thank you for writing that song, and secondly, I'm curious because you are so busy, how do you unplug and stay centered? Like, How do you relax at this point?
0: 25 hours <laughs> based on the plane where you can't check your email you can't reach out to anyone no one can reach out to you Possibly that is the time that i get to just sort of zone out like long flights are it uh but i'm trying to be better eight hours of sleep every night whenever possible almost impossible on tour but try because that, that's the most important thing it's more important than food it's more important than anything is getting sleep is the only thing that'll Keep your body running right, your brain running right, and keeping you able to maintain everything that you need to keep up. So, what do I do when I need to just zone out? Every once in a while, when I really need to, I'll just pull like a mega fast, where I'll just stay in bed and just deprive myself of all senses, and just spend like a day and a half in a hotel room with the lights off, and I'll just nibble on a protein bar for 24 hours or something like that and that actually reboots everything and, and refreshes everything through deprivation that's what i do i did it after the european tour last month uh, my butt was so kicked and i didn't eat i just fasted for about 27 hours and spent a good day and a half in the room and after that i just felt great people don't realize we eat so much more food than we need. They're you know, the big feasts that we have and everything. I mean, they're, they're great, they're delicious, they're fun, they're celebratory, they're unifying, they're you know, a lot of things. But, you know, unless we're going to go out and be hunting and really work in our bodies, we don't need as much food as we take in most of the time. So it's funny because people are constantly trying to feed me on tour wherever I go. Like the promoters, man, I'm always... Like, I'm not hungry. I don't eat anything.
3: They're like, you have
0: to eat. You have to eat. I'm like, no, I
3: don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me when to eat. <laughs> I know when to eat.
0: Like, or it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm 48 fucking years old. I know my body better than anybody. And I know what makes it work its best. So, yeah, that, that's the thing. Eating a lot less, being a little hungry. If you're going to eat a big meal and fasting afterwards, yeah. So that that's what works for me is fasting, uh, sort of deprivation and that helps me tune out and zone out and, and just recharge the batteries.
3: Oh, I can take that. Well, right. I, I think people are probably wondering, <laughs> you know, when we're going to talk some music. So let's talk about the, the many things that you got going on here. Right off the hop, I think we have to talk about Art of Anarchy, uh, you know, generating a lot of buzz right now. And uh, I think I heard you say in an interview that you wrote, like, half of the latest record in, like, a week and a half. Is that true?
0: Yeah, that, yeah Art of Anarchy, that is a band with such a rocky history. You know, it started off in 2011, where two old friends of mine, they've been friends for a good more than 20 years, and I used to produce their their bands when they were younger, and, and we just always stayed friends, and they wanted to start up a new band and, and just make the album that they always wanted to make, or just uncompromised, no rules, kind of just...
3: You guys sat on some of that stuff for a little bit, right, because of the touring schedules and whatnot. It it, kind of worked out, I I think, for the album in the the long run, I guess. But uh, didn't you guys, just because of the schedules, have to kind of let the songs marinate for a little bit and come back to it? Yeah, sometimes when you just take the time with material, right, you, you come back to it with fresh ears and you can be a little more uh, objective instead of, you know, being so close to it. Definitely, definitely. Another project that you have on the go is Sons of Apollo, which is, uh, you know, another super group in its own right. So how did that come together and what was the writing process? Like, were you guys sending tracks back and forth or how did that work? That,
0: yeah, that is an interesting one. It was the beginning of this year. Uh, Mike Portnoy hit me up. He was like, hey, you know how we've always been talking about putting the band together? Because me and Mike have jammed a million times and we've been on the road together with Metal Allegiance and, you know, and I've jammed with Billy and, and I jammed once with, with Mike and Derek like a few years ago. And so everyone knows each other a bit. Uh, you know, I've laid Guitar tracks and Metal Allegiance when you know the first album with Mike and and I played guitar tracks for this artist Madame um, Mayhem that Billy was producing and played stuff for that. So we knew each other and Mike told me about the idea for the band that he had, like him and Derek, and you know this was their baby that they uh, had a vision for, and, and the idea was we would get into the studio just also just a week and a half and we would write and record the album whatever we could get done in that week and a half however many songs and that's what we did we got together before then I would send a couple of guitar ideas little riffs and things to them and and Derek would send us ideas that he has and and just so we have something to start with when we get together Mm -hmm. and we were just you know on day one we just reached into the hat and pulled out a riff and said "All right, let's start with this and we started and just Jamming. We would take a riff and we would jam on it, and then instinctively say, All right, where does it feel like it should go next? And someone would have some variation or a new part or an idea or something, and we would jam on that. And and after jamming a bit, it's like, All right, Jerry, track it. (laughs) And he would hit record, and, and we would play. So pretty much most of what you're hearing on that album was like.
3: There you go. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about that. I, I spoke with, uh, George Lynch was on this show a while back, and we were talking about that. I mean, it's just, there's something that can't be replaced, you know, just getting a couple guys in a room and doing stuff live off the floor. Like, you just can't get that certain chemistry, you know, when you get guys, you know, on the other side of the planet sending tracks back and forth. It, you know, just often doesn't have that.
0: you lose that natural feel that two people have when they play together. And as subtle as that feel is, it's what makes something work. It's what makes it great. It's what gives it a a soul. It's what gives it a spirit. I always say if if Led Zeppelin was starting today, there would be no Led Zeppelin. There would be nothing. If they were quantizing the drums and replacing his drum sounds with those same stupid cardboardy, crappy fucking triggered drum sounds, there'd be no John Bonham. If it wasn't a bunch of guys lighting and playing together and letting their instruments be alive and organic and, and be the living things that they are. You know, and then if they started like moving parts and tweaking it's like, oh yeah, Bonham's snare is lagging a bit. Let's put it right on the grid. You know, just picture like when the levee breaks. You know, instead of like a it just like boom 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 boom. It just would not have the feel. It wouldn't have the groove. That that little pulse. All the things that make drums alive. And the drums are the foundation of everything. And once you take that away, once you strip that of its soul, you strip the music
3: of its soul. Well, yeah, it's essentially you're taking the the human element out of it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's what's missing why so much music today feels, and this is a word that I've heard other people use a lot of times, disposable, and I just noticed that every time I'm taking an Uber to the airport, it'll be some kid in his 20s or maybe 30s, and he's listening to all these, he's listening to stuff in the 60s and 70s, and I ask why, and they, I've heard people use the same exact word, and it's stuck, yeah, today's music is just disposable. Uh, I want something that's real. I think a big part of that is that instead of technology being our assistant, we've made it all master. And we've bowed down to it, and we've handed it the crown. And, and with that,
3: we've overused it, and we've become lazy and depended on it too much. I couldn't agree with you more.
0: So I think that that is something that, that's missing today, is, is the realism, uh, the, the human element of it all. And that's one thing that I'm happy to say that Sons of Apollo definitely has. You know, we weren't quantizing and, and fixing or anything like that. Like when I'm doubling my rhythm tracks, I gotta play along with the first part and nail it, and then one is on the left, one is on the right for like a stereo feel. But it's all, everything is played as it should be. It was written
3: together, it was performed together, and then it was kept as we, we played it. And what a concept. <laughs> you know, there's a
0: reason that people recorded all that time the way they did. It's not because the technology wasn't there, it's because they
3: would have found a way. It's because that's what works, and that's when art was supposed to be art. Big debate right there, the art versus commerce. But uh, I suppose I should uh, move things along a bit. I don't want to hold you up too much longer here. But you got uh, you got some of your early material that's being re-released, right? Or, or Is it out already?
0: Yeah, yeah. In the mid-'90s, I was on a label called Shrapnel Records, and shrapnel in the u.s it was roadrunner in europe and japan and my first two albums were on there and the label you know i don't want to crap talk the label but there wasn't a ton of support you know, they, they did what they did and the albums were for the most part hard to get if not impossible to get for a lot of that time and about a year ago a label Called the Orchard bought the entire Shrapnel catalog and they wanted to give it the love that it, it didn't get the first time around. So they put it out on um, cd and vinyl. I got to remix and remaster one of the albums that I was never happy with the mastering with. We added a uh, bonus track to each album and the stuff is available again. So, so like having, especially the second album that came out in 1997. 20 years later, the album finally sounds the way it should, and it's available to people where it wasn't all this time. People couldn't get it. It's like having
2: a brand-new album, and
3: wonderful. It's a good thing. Well, do any of these releases come with a Leonard Nimoy poster, though? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, my God. Do you feel Um, like telling the story, Ron?
0: So, yeah, when I was a teenager, I had a band called Leonard Nimoy, posters. They had, like, the Star Trek lettering thing. Leonard Nimoy appearing at. Then it would have, like, a picture from like a Swingers magazine of, like, a very big naked woman describing what she enjoyed and what she was looking for in a partner. And and we would just put those up all over New York.
3: (laughs) Including schools, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: What a little asshole I was. Um, I love it. Yeah, it was the 80s. (laughs) <laughs> well, speaking of the 80s, I wanted to ask you about playing with Lita Ford. I mean, what what was that experience like? Oh,
0: yeah, that was a blast. So that was an interesting one. She called me up. She had just played Sweden Rock, and it didn't go well. She called me from the stage. This was in 2009. She said, look, I want to make a bunch of changes. What are you doing this summer? And I just happened to be off that summer where Guns was taking a break. And... I was like, I'm free for the summer. What's going on? And she said that uh she wanted to put a new band together. I was like, Are you sure you want to do that? Because she had a great band. But he's like, yeah, yeah. Wanna. I want to. Like, all right. So on two days' notice, she had a whole tour that was about to start. So we had two days, put a new band together, learned all the songs, and hit the road. And we played... A lot of venues and casinos around the U.S. and festivals in Europe, and had a great time. Uh, at the time, you know, she was with her husband, and and her two kids were there. And her kids were such characters. It looked just like the husband, just like little mini versions of them, like the same haircut, the same build. Like these, there's like these three little ass kicking, like they could be professional wrestlers or something. And the youngest one, he loved
2: ketchup. Is like obsessed with ketchup. And we would talk like Gilbert Gottfried. So... <laughs> a guy walks into a bar. Joan Rivers is the bartender. He sees a sign over the bar that reads, Cheese Sandwich, a dollar fifty. Hand job ten dollars. He says to Joan Rivers, Are you the one that gives the hand jobs? Joan says, Yes, I am. He says, well, wash your hands, bitch. I want a cheese sandwich.
0: Great kid. Both of them were great kids. But he was such a funny, young little dude. He would uh, be backstage like, why can I find some ketchup? He was just a, a really, he had a lot of character the kid. And I remember we would come backstage and there would just be blood splattered all over the walls. Like, what happened? Who died back here? Done. Then you realize, like, it's ketchup. It was him just, like, fucking with the packets and, money squirting over the walls. And it just looked like, you know, it looked like a horror film. We had a lot of fun on that tour. It was a great, great, fun tour. And Michael T. Ross, the keyboard player. Man, that guy could play. He was amazing. He is amazing. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And the bassist of Trickster. PJ, he was the best player for it. And, yeah, we had a great, great time.
3: Well, you'll have to give Lita my love.
0: <laughs> You'd be eating alone in a women's prison. Yeah, it's been a while. I haven't seen her in, in a good couple of years. But, yeah,
3: excellent. Well, there we go. Like I said, give, give her a kiss for me when you do see her. And you, you mentioned horror movies there. and you've, you've done some horror movies and uh, done some soundtracks yeah. and acting and whatnot. I'm a big horror fan, so uh, before we part ways, I wanted to ask you about some of your favorite horror films. Oh, man
0: from the really just like dark, quirky, obscure, kind of like gummo kind of movies, which isn't a horror movie in the sense of it's not blood and guts, but it just definitely leaves you feeling pretty horrified. Uh, Let's see, there's, you know, a Serbian film from 2010.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah, you're getting dark now.
0: (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Martyrs. 2009, a French movie, definitely worth checking out. As People are trying to sort of uh, go through severe pain and, and torture to the point that they disassociate and go to the other side and see if they can come back from there and, and what they, they can learn about the spirit world. Interesting movie. Uh, what else? You no, know, I gotta say, a lot of the classics, the 70s, you know, I Spit on Your Grave, 76, Chainsaw Massacre, and I love the remakes that were done. Yeah, uh, I thought the I Spit on Your Grave remakes were great. What else? The Omen trilogy, the original ones, yeah, they, they were phenomenal. Uh, what else? The Fun House, 1981, The Fun House.
3: Oh, it's another Tobey <clears throat> Hooper movie.
0: Yep, when the dude finally just pulls off his mask you just see that, that hideous face and just how everything goes downhill from there. What else? You know what I really like? The series of movies called uh, The Cube.
3: Oh, yeah. I, I remember that. Especially, I thought Cube 2 was a good one. But then I also like a
0: lot of the weird B movies, like a lot of the ones from Troma Pictures.
3: Oh, actually, I just had uh, Mark Torgel on the last episode of the show uh, from Toxic Avenger. She's coming on, actually. She's going to be on the show in a couple weeks. Well, tell her I am a big fan, and I
0: love her stuff in the old Sedaris movies that she did.
3: You say hello to Lita for me, and I'll say hello to Sybil for you. How's that? (laughs) You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, April Fools. Yeah. Silent Night Deadly Night. Mhm. Yeah, there's a there's a whack of those Linnea Quigley's been on the show a few times. Oh, nice. Yeah, I lo- I love that gal, man. What a what a hoot she is. Just a just a great gal and uh I dare say a lovely set of rockets. <laughs> <laughs> now,
0: which movie was it? And I think it was her where she didn't she push like a thing of lipstick into her body in the movie. Pushed it into her nipple.
3: That might have <laughs> been Night of the Demons. Yes, yes, Night of
0: the Demons. So, uh, that?
3: Remember Night of the Creeps? Absolutely, the Night, of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps. I, yeah, you know what? I've been meaning to uh, to rewatch that again. I just uh, got a copy finally the other day. It took me forever to find that man. It's like kind of a oh, yeah. kind of a hidden gem, oh, you oh, know. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what, what about no, Intruder? You no, ever no, seen Intruder? No.
0: Intruder? I don't think so.
3: It's, uh, it's like a slasher, but it's set in a grocery store. Sam Raimi's in it, uh, Bruce Campbell's got a little cameo in it. Pretty wicked, man. I highly recommend that if you're into slasher stuff and, you know, kind of be fair and whatnot. It, it, it sort of, it'd be a good companion piece in a way to, uh, Night of the Creeps, I think. Good double header, double feature. How about,
0: uh, Phantasm? All the Phantasm movies, okay? There's Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and then, um, oh, Having a Brain Fart. What was the third? When they Army
3: of Darkness. Uh,
0: yes, Army of
3: Darkness. Classics, man. Absolutely. I mean, the first two, you know, they're kind of the same movie in a way, but I I could sit and watch those three movies day after day, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, outstanding Ron. Uh, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Thanks so much for coming on, man. I hope uh hope you'll come back again. We'll talk some more horror movies. Absolutely my pleasure. Now, one last question. Yes, sir. Um, there's the Army of
0: Darkness, and there was one with a similar name. Was it Prince of Darkness? Which is the one with Alice Cooper, where he shoves the bicycle into the dude.
3: Yeah, I think that's Prince of Darkness. I think that's a Carpenter film.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one will be saved. And all the the, uh, the flies on the windows, and yeah, good
3: stuff. Great. Thank you so much. Very welcome, sir. All right. Well, I think I've probably held you up long enough, but uh, welcome home. Take some time to relax. And uh, like I said, let's do it again sometime, man. Very Right on. All right. Well, thanks again, Ron. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Cool. Happy holidays. Talk to you very soon. All right. Cheers, brother. You too. Thanks. Adios. Part talk show, part rock show, you were listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. That was the second and final part of my conversation with Ron Bumblefoot Thaw. To keep up with all things Bumblefoot, head over to bumblefoot.com. I'm going to spin a track for you featuring Bumblefoot from his group Art of Anarchy, but before I do, there's something I feel I need to address. I keep reading news stories about a bunch of idiots out there eating those goddamn Tide Pods. Okay, who wants a tanguich? In case you haven't heard about this, it's essentially a social media campaign that dares someone, mostly teenagers, to upload video of themselves attempting to eat Tide Laundry Detergent pods. I can taste my spleen! They call it the Tide Pod Challenge. Well, to assist in curbing this problem, I have compiled a short list of Tide Pod Challenge alternatives. It is as follows. Jump off of a bridge challenge. Piss on an electric fence challenge. Crop dust a tornado challenge. Arm wrestle an octopus challenge. Eat your damn vegetables challenge. Stop being a keyboard warrior challenge. Start yourself in public challenge. Cremate yourself challenge. Print clearly challenge. 100 bottles of nitroglycerin challenge. Bobbing for piranhas challenge. Get a job challenge Handstand while pooping challenge Thinking before speaking challenge Go see a live band challenge Lick a jellyfish challenge Ejaculate on the hood of a cop car challenge Put your phone down challenge Sandpaper for toilet paper challenge Don't be a little bitch challenge Hoop a jalapeno challenge Alligator wrestling challenge Tie your shoes challenge Less social media more books challenge Leave your place of residence challenge Drink a gallon of piss challenge Buy an album challenge Wipe your ass without mommy's help challenge Headbutt a stingray challenge Pour hot sauce into your eyes challenge Interact with a human being in person challenge and finally don't be a fucking nimrod challenge of course that's just the short list enough of that madness this is art of anarchy on the casey ferguson show
0: from corner gas and you are listening to the casey ferguson show
3: and emptying glasses, you are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Drive bringing the thunder there with a track called Inherit the Wind, diversity of one before that with Hardcore and kicking off that trifecta of tasty tunage was Art of Anarchy with The Madness. I hate to be the bearer of bad news my friends, but I got word the other day that Jesse Williamson, lead vocalist and guitarist of the band Kira, died tragically in a car accident on January 17th. My condolences, of course, to his band as well as his family and friends. I didn't know Jesse personally, but I believe this is the first time someone from a band I've played on this podcast has died, and I'm not going to lie to you, it's a strange feeling. I feel connected to the bands I play on this show, and I also feel you get to know someone at least a little bit through their art. I can't help but to thank Jesse had some great songs left in him that will now not be my privilege to play. He did leave us with some terrific music, though, so in tribute to Jesse Williamson, here's his band Kira with Forgive Me on the Casey Ferguson Show. making your knees freeze and your liver quiver you are listening to the casey ferguson show live from the o2 arena that was Alterbridge, bridge blackbird and before that in memory of lead vocalist jesse williamson was kira forgive me my next guest is actor and musician ryan lambert ryan is probably best known to most of you as rudy the leather-clad rebel from the film the monster squad or from the television show kids incorporated this is the second part of our conversation so once again if you missed the first part of the interview you will find it on episode 31 of this show available at caseyfergusonshow.com here is part two of my. conversation with Ryan Lambert on the Casey Ferguson show now (laughs) I know you were only 14 when you played Rudy and I know you know that you guys didn't realize that the film had quite the following that it does, and especially because, you know, the film didn't do so great initially. I mean, I'm still thinking, like, you know, just your character and this or that. I'm thinking you got more ass than a toilet seat, even at 14.
0: (laughs) Uh, 14, maybe a little later. But, uh, yeah, I mean, from kids Incorporated, maybe, you know, like getting out and meeting all the little fans and stuff, or we used to play out live or something, or, like, do a personal appearance somewhere it was a little overwhelming i'm like you know when i was in school i was just kind of sitting in the back and no one gave a
5: fuck
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm on tv and you're dropping panties so like what is happening here yes yeah,
3: did, did i just become that much cooler like what what the fuck it was just a fucking
0: snap overnight i was a total dork in school no, i mean I was, I was kind of cool no total dork and then uh yeah yeah i mean who wouldn't want to do this this is a this is dream come true
3: <laughs> I went through the same thing with the, the musician thing, man. I mean, I you know, I couldn't get laid with a fistful of 50s in a fucking whorehouse, but all of a sudden, right. like, oh, he plays guitar, okay. he's got long hair, like, oh, he must be cool. No. Like, I wasn't, but right. they didn't know that. They drop, <laughs> yeah, they drop right to their knees. Like, and, oh, pick up this guitar really like, quick. Oh,
0: I just played three chords. Oh, you're, uh, you're already, you know, whatever. I'm not going to get dirty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, I,
3: I heard this quote, and I forget who the actress was, but she said something to the effect, like you know, she played this sexy character or whatever, and said that basically you would only get people that your character would get. So, I mean, were you, was there like a parade of reform school girls or something for you, or, or you know, do you even find that statement to be true? Yeah. Well, uh, I guess at the convention there's like a lot of like tattooed badass chicks. Chicks. They're my favorite. Uh, oh, they're your favorite golf chicks? Yeah, no, 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 The love of my
0: elementary school years was this little cute little blonde golf girl. Oh my god. Just like wearing like super long pure t shirts and like super like caked on black eyeliner and, and mascara and just scowling through the hallways. <laughs> like, oh my god. I would have done anything for her. She was like, yeah, so anytime I see someone that remotely resembles that I'm like oh my god my childhood uh. so um, yeah and, and there's a lot of those that come up you know and say hi when we're at these conventions and some of them even have my fucking face tattooed on their arm oh wow <laughs> so I'm like okay well and then you know their boyfriend texts going isn't that cool I'm like uh, so you're looking at my face while you're fucking your wife like okay yeah awkward uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally into that that's fine or vice versa like you know I have like, you know, like a Rudy tattoo on his arm, and then this girl, like, you know, him and like staring at my face. Like, I tell out there, but go for it, man. Well,
3: it's got to be weird because, like, your character in this thing, like, it's become a symbol, right, for just badass. Up am forgetting heavy. <laughs>
0: So mysterious in a way, but the truth of the matter is, is like, none of that shit is true. This guy is not cool. He's, he's, the clothes look cool. The boy is not. James Dean's character wasn't cool in Real He was a loner, he was sad, he hated his family, he hated everything, he was, he was, he was a freak. And, uh, he was misunderstood. Not cool at all. Zero <laughs> cool. Like, what makes people cool? Uh, um, Fonzie, like, didn't have parents, so he logged on to this family, and, like, you know, he thought of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cunningham as his parents, because he didn't have parents, you know? But it's all, like, surface personification. I would tell people, like, you know, take the clothes off of Rudy, take the leather jacket away, take the fucking cigarettes out of his mouth, put the fucking Ray-Bans away, put a fucking pair of nerdy glasses on him, and a polo shirt, and, like, then and still say those lines that he says. You know, it's a different character.
2: Absolutely.
0: you so, can just hope that, you know, some of that gets across when, when you do do these kind of roles, that, uh, you know, you always make sure that there's an underlining factor and not just some cliche bullshit character. And, like, you know, you look at uh, Norman Reedus on Walking Dead, you know, there's some deep shit going on there. Mm-hmm. He may look like a badass or act like a badass, but, man, that guy's sad. He's sad. And he's a sweetheart underneath all that bullshit and he cares but when you first got that band of brothers together you know he was like the outsider and like hook up and whatever but you know you slowly let him into the squad and what happens look at the end of monster squad Rudy's like all happy and smiling and hugging everyone you
3: know he found a place to belong
0: exactly exactly that's all those guys ever want all those characters ever want just belong to a, a squad or a gang or a group or whatever. Oh, they want. They just
3: want friends. Now, was there any talk, you know, from Fred Decker or, you know, even just an internal chat with yourself about, you know, weaving some subtext into the character? I was a little young
0: to understand, like, you know, method acting and things like that, although I was enrolled in a lot of classes in Los Angeles. Um, you know, I took some stuff. I had learned, I was with a few other, like, private coaches and stuff. But, you know, it was still, like, I wasn't there yet, like, it took me another maybe like five or six years to understand what all of that represented and what it meant. And I was just kind of going through the exercises at the time. But when I got the Monster Squad, and for the, the first thing I did was go to wardrobe, and they were trying leather jackets on me. Before we even started rehearsing or doing anything or shooting, I was, uh, you know, they were they were fitting me for the wardrobe. So I was, uh, they had all these leather jackets lined up, and they said, how about this? Try this one on, try this one on. Let's see if this one looks right. right like, this doesn't feel like something i would wear and she looked me straight in the eye and she goes you're not playing you and i was like oh my god oh my god i have to use the jacket i have to use that it's not me in the jacket that was the very first like epiphany that i got where i really understood what acting meant i really understood that i was not just reading some lines and trying to be me and be cool i had to pretend like i was actually so on schoolyard, saving them from fat kids and things like that. Like, that's not what Ryan Lambert did. So in that regard, you know, that was that was my first
3: lesson into the, the, the story of acting. Well, so goes to show, like, the whole projection thing again, right? Like, people just, you know, they take away what they take away from it and, you know, often, you know, project things that aren't there. We sell. I just totally had that image of, like, Harrison Ford sitting there, like, this is some really good soup. This is some really
0: good soup. Really smog. super smog. He's like, yeah, soup. Whatever. Fuck soup.
3: Don't even like soup. <laughs> you know who
0: does the best imitation of Harrison Ford ever? Who's that? Um, Mark Mark Hamill. Oh, yeah? Yeah. you can I think you can, find, you can probably find it online. You can get it on. it um you did it on on Chris Hardwick's podcast. He, he did a little
3: Harrison. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, I can see that being that awesome. Brilliant. Mark's great with the voices like um, the Joker and all that. Oh,
0: it's so, per- it's so perfect. It's uncanny. It's like,
3: holy shit, you really got it down. I remember I was complaining to Harrison that my hair didn't match from the last scene and it was bad for continuity. And Harrison's comment was, Hey, kid, if the audience is looking at your hair, we're all in big trouble.
0: I can do, like... <laughs> own version of like an Irishman or something or like an English or an Englishman or whatever. But I can't imitate someone else's bullshit, you know. And I've tried, trust me. I've tried I've tried. <laughs> and I just, it's not my day, I,
3: I can't do it. Well, but it was the same thing with music for you, right? Like you said, you, you just weren't good at trying to be someone else. I, I found myself very much the same way. I couldn't, you know, I had to write my own solos to, you know, cover songs or whatever, because I just didn't play that way. I'm not them. <laughs> it was weird because like, a lot of people always ask me like, Oh, you're a musician. Um,
0: like, so whose songs do you do? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, like when you're playing out, like what covers do you do? And I'm like, I don't. They are like. Cover songs we're like, no, I'm a musician. Like, I actually like, I'm in a band. We're like, yeah, but like, your band, like, wedding band. or like, no, no, no. Have you ever seen like a band that you like? <laughs> like, I'm like that. Like, I, I'm trying to actually make it as a musician in a rock band that is going to be original. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, know, I, I, you know, you know, get to ask anybody, who's was your favorite band? And they're like, I don't know, Aerosmith. Like, yeah, like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, you know, they didn't do cover songs of other people's shit. They were Aerosmiths. I'm not a terrible example. Uh, but then I have to say Well oh, I have done cover songs You know what I mean Well like, sure oh, well, so you do, 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 I see you do do cover songs Like yeah yeah But it's me doing It's like my band Then we do all of our songs And at the end Maybe we do Don't Change by In Excess so of right. Or we do like I, I think we did uh, Nick Cave A few Nick Cave covers At one point So you know Yeah cause that's for fun That's for shits and giggles Hey let's learn this fucking Let's learn this B-side From U2 From 1984 Or whatever Like that <laughs> no one's ever heard before and put it on our own 7-inch B-side, which we did, you know. Put up this 7-inch with my dead elephant. I might find it somewhere funny ear seven inch. And one side is uh, an original, one of our original, and then the flip side is seconds by you too. Like that's fucking badass. That's what bands do, you
3: know? Yeah, I was just um, covering wasn't are. like the main thing that you did. Like yeah, some people just don't understand. It's like, no, we, we write our own songs. And I mean, especially nowadays where you got like sometimes there's fifteen fucking songwriters on a song. It's like, what, you wrote that by yourself? Like Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that's why I picked up a guitar was to write not, you know, I didn't have any visions of being a guitar player. I picked it up so that I could write songs and then, you know, found that I was half decent at it. So I I kept with it. But it's like, I picked it up to write songs. I didn't pick up a guitar to learn how to play the solo from Sweet Child of Mine or something. I mean, as much as I might love the record, it's like, that that was Slash's thing, man. Like, I, you know, as much as I was influenced by that and all that, it's still, it's just not me. Yeah, people always ask, like, I'll be playing the time, they're like, hey, do, uh, you know, do, okay, let's
0: just use Sweet Child of Mine, do the, do the lick from Sweet Child of Mine. I'm like, I have no idea how it goes. Well, you know, you know how to play guitar, so just like figure it out. I'm like, can you give me like an hour? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I, I can't read tablature. No, I, I'm not that kind of musician. I'm like Bruce Springsteen. Like, I don't know how to write notes down on paper, you know? I don't do that. I'm not, uh, Beethoven, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'm, I, you know, I don't think Keith Richards sits down, and, like, writes out, like, sheet music when he's writing a song, you know? Like, no, I just know how to fucking play the guitar and I know how to sing. Yeah. You know, and I'll make it up, and, and you know someone else can write that shit down if they want to.
5: <laughs> but uh,
0: here's the chord. You know, I can read chords. If you said A minor, D seven, I'm there, That's exactly where it is. But if it showed me that on a scale or something, I'd be like, I don't know what that says.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll agree to me. Just say, just say, D. Write the letter D, and then put a seven above
0: the D. <laughs> That's a D seven. I'm like, great. No, I know what we're doing. How many measures does that go for? Mostly, I don't need to do that because I'm the one fucking. <laughs> right in the music. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but I don't need to read. I don't need to read my own shit. I know how the song goes. Um, but you know, whatever. Going off on a tangent about that shit, but yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm literally just like. First of all, I'm left-handed, so no one ever, ever, no one ever could teach me how to play guitar. No one would, no one would. I, I went to a class once yeah. at McCabe's in Santa Monica when I was eight, and I brought my guitar with me, and it was strong left-handed even. And I had it left handed and I looked around the class and everybody was holding their guitar the other way. And the teacher goes, no, 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 it goes the other way. And I said, no. (laughs) That doesn't feel right. And he goes, like, you're left handed, huh? And I said, yeah. And he said, I can't teach you to get out. (laughs) And I sat on the stoop with my guitar in my case next to me and waited for my dad to pick me up, which was an hour after the class. (laughs) So I just sat there and he's like, how was it? And I'm like, I was what? <laughs> they didn't do shit but they wouldn't teach me so like, yeah, I yeah it was heard, great dad um, said, yeah thanks dad for uh, humiliating me for, uh, you couldn't have told me that this was the wrong way to hold a fucking
3: car. Um by the way you're I still gonna pay this prick <laughs> <laughs> oh of course yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, obviously it wasn't until like a few you know years later that I realized you know fucking Jimi Hendrix and then obviously years later Kurt Cobain and Paul McCartney was left-handed, you know, fuck everyone, left-handed people fucking so kick ass and playing guitar. Uh, but, uh, except me, I can only do, I <laughs> don't all like those people do. Um, but yeah, my mom bought, went out and bought me what was called the uh, Beatles Bible. It was cheap music, but it did have the chord instructions. So, it, it had the boxes where it tells you where to put your fingers. I knew all the Beatles songs because my dad is an aficionado of, uh, 50s, 50s and 60s rock and soul music. Um, he knows that. He'll tell you who played tambourine on an Animals record that you never heard of. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I knew all these songs just rolling around in my dad's, you know, convertible jets, Eerie, listening to eight-track tapes of Linda Ronstadt and the Beatles. I knew all this shit. So I opened up the book, you know, was an alphabetical order. I think the first song was Across the Universe. I looked at that. I knew the song. I looked at the box that said, oh, you put your finger there. <laughs> if you put your finger here, if you're right-handed, then it must go on this other side of your left hand. And that's what I did. That's how I learned to play guitar. <laughs> fucking Beatles, Beatles Bible. If you're left-handed and you want to play guitar and no one will fucking teach you, go buy the Beatles Bible. You'll figure out how to play guitar. John and Paul will teach you, man. They know everything. Yeah, they,
3: uh, they were no slouches. They uh, they did okay. Yeah, they did all right. They did all right. <laughs> call me <laughs> kooky, call me crazy. That Paul McCartney might have yeah. a future.
0: He might have a future. I mean, when they put your face on a pillow...
3: Oh, they don't have Ryan Lambert pillows out there. Some some girls gotta have one.
0: Uh, if they do, it's uh, black market.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, there you go. There's uh, there's the next thing for uh, merch for the conventions. <laughs> Ryan Lambert pillows, little Rudy pillows for the uh, the hot goth gals. I'm
0: working on Rudy panties, so we'll see wh- where
3: that goes. <laughs> there you go. Rudy, eat. Rudy, I'm not gonna say eat up. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Uh, it's really been a blast talking to you, and yeah, I'd love to do it again sometime. Just email me. Let me know when uh, you want to do this again. I'm down. Outstanding. All right, ma'am. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, you take care, and have a good time at those conventions. All right, ma'am. Thanks a lot. Take care. Cheers, brother. All right. Parts hawk show, part rock show. You are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. I'm taking that silence for fucking support. That was the second and final part of my conversation with actor and musician Ryan Lambert. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at RyanLambert111 and check out his podcast with fellow Monster Squad member Andre Gower at RyanAndAndre.com. Let's talk more rock. This is Lynch Mob, Blackheart Days on the Casey Ferguson Show.
0: Played Michael Myers in the original 1978 movie Halloween, and you are listening to the Casey Ferguson show.
4: gotta go
2: the Manly Minute, I'm Dan Manly. The fire hydrant is arguably one of the most important technologies in the realm of civil architecture. So whom should we thank for this saving grace? No one actually knows, because the invention's patent was lost in a fire. Hey, what happened to my music? I'm not finished talking here. That's better. Don't try to rush me out, mister sound engineer. You try that again, I'll take your rectal temperature with my foot. Anyhow, the manly minute might not be a full minute, but it's close enough to satisfy me. You know what happens next, don't you? Don't you? What happens next is we blow the roof off this fucker. You ready?
4: Tough, never ending. However long she waits, it's just.
3: In the Thunder. You are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Mm,
2: sacrilicious.
3: From the album Live in Milan, that was Taiketo, Forever Young, and Glorious in there as well with Tell Me Why, and at the top of that set was Lynch Mob with Blackheart Days. Well, scallions, I hope that 2018 is treating you well so far. My roommate and confidant, Doug McFly, has joined me, and Doug's been having a tough time so far this year because his New Year's resolution was to get back in shape, and thus far he hasn't been very successful. In fact, he looks like a damn beach ball with wings. Fair enough, Doug. I'm no fucking prize either, and you were a pretty big fly to begin with. Probably the size of a fucking ping-pong ball when you showed up here at Motel Ferguson. But listen, when I said I'd cook us up a festive feast for the holidays, I meant I'd share my turkey-hungry-man with you, not microwave you four your own. I don't care if you are the breadwinner around here, Doug. I'm your friend, and I'm worried about your health, so I've decided to help you lose weight. Look, I even got you this skipping rope. Yeah, I know it's pink, Doug. Sorry the little girl I stole it from didn't have more sophisticated tastes, okay? Are you going to bitch about the color or are you going to skip your rotund rear end off? you got to ask yourself, my friend, are you going to be Doug McFly or Doug McFlop? That's the spirit. Let's do this, Doug.
2: There you go, boy, Dougie. Skip, skip, you bastard. You're a machine, a machine, I tells ya.
3: Is that the fucking Terminator? Aw, oh, shit. Uh- Is that it? Hmm, this might be more of a long-term project. That's okay, Doug, we'll keep at it, buddy. I'll be sure to post some updates on Doug's fitness progress between episodes on Facebook at The Casey Ferguson Show, so be sure to check in from time to time to see how old Douglas is doing. Back to the music, this is Dishwalla, Maze Lake Garden, on The Casey Ferguson Show.
1: No more religion, no more lies No more conspiracy withholding your rights If I was an angel driven by hate Would that consume all of your pain? There's no mistaking It appears to shake and tremble across them all I can't remember the last time I wrote these rhythms and these rhymes Been tortured by these shadows in my mind No more religion, no more life. More conspiracy withholding your rights. If I was an angel driven by hate, would that consume all of your pain? I've lost my touch. I've lost my touch. I no longer feel anymore. Hey, what's the rush? I'm getting closer to the shore. No more religion, no more lies No more conspiracy withholding your rights If I was an angel driven by hate Would that consume all of your No more conspiracy, withholding your rights If I was not life driven by hate Would that consume all of your pain? No more religion, no more lies No more conspiracy, withholding your rights an driven by hate would that consume all
3: of your pain all killer no filler you were listening to the casey ferguson show New music from Saint Tragedy there that was no religion and before that you heard from Dishwalla. The track is called Maze Like Garden. Well, Wildcats, as I was producing this episode of the show, I was in touch with comedian and comedy writer Tracy McDonald and found out that she was coming to Canada to headline some shows at Absolute Comedy in Ottawa, February 13th to 18th. Since she's not going to be back in the Great White North for six months or more, I decided to make her something of a last minute addition to this show, which is why I didn't mention her in the open. For those of you not familiar with Tracy, here's the lowdown. After conquering the comedy landscape in Canada, Tracy exploded onto the American American comedy scene with unprecedented voter support on CBS's new Star Search with host Arsenio Hall. She was the first comedian to not only win the finals, but also beat out the winners from previous seasons. Tracy was awarded a two-year development deal with CBS and the grand prize of $200,000. Tracy performs regularly at the Comedy and Magic Club, the Ice House, the Comedy Store, and the Laugh Factory, plus all over the United States, Canada, and soon England as well. Tracy is an international headliner and has recently been heard on Bob and Tom Radio and has appeared on Comedy TV, Gossip Queens, Comics Unleashed, the CBS Early Show, and has hosted the Hollywood e-network Celebrity Slimdowns. Tracy also writes customized material for new and famous comedians and has been published by Frank and Funny Cards Incorporated. I'm going to play for you a bit of Tracy doing her thing in Vancouver, and we'll head right into the interview all in one shot. So here's a bit of Tracy's set from a recent Vancouver show, followed by my interview with comedian Tracy McDonald on the Casey Ferguson Show.
2: funny and talented, Tracy McDonald. <laughs>
6: so happy Los Angeles. I've lived there for over 10 years, so I love coming back to Canada where people are nice <laughs> and where I feel good looking again.
5: <laughs>
6: um, don't be offended. I'm not, I'm not making fun of you guys. I'm from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. <laughs> and there, I'm a fucking supermodel. <laughs> I'm going to say, if you live in Hollywood and you are curvy at all, they think there's something wrong with you, like a win to get on the plane to come out here and a lady in the Los Angeles airport asked me when I was due, which sucks when you're not pregnant, I just like Doritos <laughs> and Donairs. That's, that's why I came back. But um, I didn't want to embarrass her because I'm a friendly Canadian so um, I didn't want to tell her I wasn't pregnant There's all these people about to get on the plane So I just made something up. She's like, What are you doing? I was like, Fuck, I don't know. (laughs) I don't even know who the father is. (laughs) Shit, I hope I get more money for this one. I hope it's a boy this time. They are worth more.
5: Especially
6: in China, (laughs) She ended up sitting next to me on the plane. I fucked with her a little more. I was like, pass me a drink.
5: (laughs) The baby is kicking.
6: (laughs) But then I just got more and more mad as I was sitting there for her asking me that. She's like, it's my first time flying. What does this turbulence mean? I'm like, uh, it means we're going down, bitch. Going
5: down. (laughs)
6: So that's me. <laughs> is there any, um, is there any curvy women here by applause? Any, um, curvy ladies? Woo! Woo! <laughs> Why are some of you not clapping? I can fucking see you! <laughs> wow. I didn't say fat, I just said curvy. <laughs> You know, if you're too curvy, you get a bad compliment. Like, I pulled around with this guy last week and he goes, Oh, Trace, I love the new thong underwear. I was like, "Oh, thanks, but uh, it's not a thong. Fa- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just stuck, so... <laughs> Thank you the one dude that clapped for that. <laughs> Women are laughing, the men are looking at me like they haven't seen a woman on stage downtown Vancouver with their clothes on, but, um... So... <laughs> no, this is fine, I like you guys. You guys are good. My ex-boyfriend lives out here, he dumped me. Um, like a year ago, I've been trying to get back in him, I've been sticking pins in a voodoo doll, that's what my therapist told me to do, and I ran into him today, he lost weight, and he quit smoking, turned out I was just giving him acupuncture, <laughs> <a> <sighs> I love Canadian guys, so I hate American guys, they're creepy, I Tinder date and he bought me a latte. Okay, last week and he's like, "Can I choke you now?" And I was like, "No." I don't have health care. I know. I did not see Lucy K again. But um Just um, get that out of the way. <laughs> Are you telling her what? What'd what, what you say? You're telling her what happened? I didn't
5: know
6: who it was. You didn't know who it was? Okay. Well, people won't anymore. <laughs> He's a very well known comic that masturbated in front of some ladies.
5: <laughs>
6: and they didn't want him to do it.
5: (laughs) I don't know, I'm
6: sorry. (laughs) He should have just asked me, I would have been like, go for it. But, But I'm from Dartmouth, so... Peak, so, are ladies having their sexual peak? Guys get their sexual peak when they're like seventeen, you know what I mean, and they have zits and no car. We get ours like thirty-five and up, and right, ladies? We get like, we get like a condo and money and our shit together, but we grow a beard. So. Uh, it's a little tough. Uh, years old, and um, my father has dementia now. It's kind of sad. He's just starting to lose his memory. But he sat me down the other day, and he just said, I know I've never told you this, Tracy. I know I didn't want you to become a comedian, but I'm really proud of you. And I always wanted him to say that. And he said, I just watched your Netflix special. You shouldn't have worn the leather. But I really loved it. I was like, Dad, that's Amy Schumer. <laughs> But, he was just fucking with me anyway. He's like, I don't know. I was like, she's got millions of dollars. She has a boyfriend. She does anal, so. Um, it's a joke,
4: you
6: guys. My like 73-year-old father. Did not say the anal part. There's nothing wrong with you. She's doing amazing. I'm very proud of her. I'm just saying, like, I know that Michelle was talking about this earlier, but like, I don't really talk about my vagina much. A lot of women do. I'm not really a jury comic, but I, I don't talk about it much because uh, I'm over 35 and I live in LA, so not a lot of people see it. <laughs> 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 What? Lighten up Vancouver! Oh, lighten up Vancouver, okay. That's the sweetest heckle ever. (laughs) You're so cute! Such a Canadian heckle, lighten up Vancouver! (laughs) When I play Detroit, they're like, I hope you get AIDS! right? You're not uptight, you're just tired. You're like, oh shit, this is the best karaoke night ever. (laughs) This chick's talking about how no one sees her vagina. (laughs) Anyway, I also don't have health care, so I had to go to Planned Parenthood. (laughs) I had to go to Planned Parenthood last week just to get a checkup, okay, and, um, the woman, um, she checked in and then she said, I have to talk to you, here's some upsetting news, you just, I'll give you a moment after I tell you, but she just said, I just want to let you know, um, you know, your vagina is extra small, so you probably won't be able to have children, and it's, it's just really small. (laughs) And I was like, tell your friends! (laughs) That's the best news i ever heard. (laughs) You what I Like fuck the bikini pic on
3: Instagram. Alright, this is Casey Ferguson. You are listening to the Casey Ferguson show. I have comedian Tracy McDonald on the phone. Tracy, I tried to get a hold of you. And you didn't answer the phone, I thought we were going to have to break up. But, of course, you had the good sense not to be with me in the first place. So.
7: <laughs> I, was planning, I was trying to play hard to get. I actually have two phones. Don't ask, but you're calling
3: me on my burner phone, and I have another phone. So Burner phone? Uh, I know. It's, just, it's good for everybody to have an extra phone.
7: The only problem is if you have a burner phone, people make assumptions about you. They either think you're a drug dealer or a prostitute, and uh, the last time I was hanging out with he's like, are you a prostitute? Because I have money. But I, I just have it as an extra phone as a backup, in case it's always good to just have an extra cheap phone, in case, in case your phone dies, or you can't get to your iPhone, and so I have two.
3: Oh, you're killing um, me. You've gone all Hollywood. Nobody in Canada's got two Hollywood? phones. That's that's craziness. Really? Who can afford oh. two phones, eh?
7: I don't, I mean, but one of the cheap phone. Well, everyone says that to me, they're like, how can you afford two phones? But it's not expense like one of them I got at the grocery store for um eighteen dollars, and it's forty bucks a month. But anyway, (laughs) that's what happens. That's what happens. I um, but anyway, I did Doc and Woody in the morning. The radio station not a lot trip remote. That I'm performing at Absolute Comedy this Tuesday through Sunday, eight shows, and I'm performing on Valentine's, and I always get booked for Valentine's because they're like, uh, "You're single, you got nothing else going on." But I'm <laughs> always wondering why do people want to go on a date on Valentine's and see a single female comic. That's what I don't understand. But
2: I got the booking.
3: Well, <laughs> so, I guess it's one of those things. Maybe they're like, "Oh, well, you know, watching someone else feel bad will take my mind off of feeling bad." I don't. <laughs>
7: I think it makes them really happy. Like, and and when I, I mean, I think I'm staying at a condo this time. But usually, when I stay in a hotel on Valentine's, they're like, "It's Valentine's, we have a dinner for two special," and I'm like, "Send it up." <laughs> <And> it's,
3: up, <laughs> up my it's like, can I come with the dinner? Absolutely not. <laughs>
7: Well, it
3: depends on who it is, but um, yeah, so that's what's that's what's going on with me today. <laughs> All right, we'll tell you. what. I'll show up in Ottawa with some uh, gift certificates for Burger King and uh, see see where that where that gets me.
7: Oh, that would be really sweet. Yeah, that's more than any LA guy's do.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the, I don't know, do you know what's going on in Hollywood? You know all this, like Me Too and you know, right? Like What, with all the Weinstein shit? Yeah, you know all the
7: stuff that's going on with like Aziz Ansari, Louis C.K., Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey. It's like, it's really hard for me because I want to, you know, I'm a single woman and I want to you know, meet guys and go on dates and all this stuff and now guys are super paranoid. Like I had a guy come over A few nights ago, I had, you know, my laundry on and all that stuff. You know, we're making out, and he's like, is this consensual?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, "Uh, yeah. I guess you can never be too careful. Was
7: this supposed to be a clean interview? I was going to say, yeah, you're inside me. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: don't, don't worry. <laughs> I don't think the listeners wait, are going to blush listening to this show. Guys
7: are really paranoid with the Me Too movement now. Like, I, I, when I'm with a guy, I want him to be romantic. Like, you know, now in Hollywood, there's three words you always want to hear from, from your boyfriend, which is, is this consensual?
3: <laughs> yeah, you, you got to make sure these days, folks. Got to be careful.
7: Yeah, you have to be careful now. I'm being really serious, though. You, you do. It's it's uh it's pretty crazy out here. I don't know what it's like in Ottawa. I think people are just cold.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's just like, no, this isn't because sexual assault. Cold, I'm just freezing to, to death. Yeah,
7: they just want someone to be warm with, right? I
3: mean, <laughs> Perhaps.
7: <laughs> I lived in Ottawa for uh, five years and I am Canadian. I'm originally from Nova Scotia. I've been in LA for a long time and I do definitely think, and I'm not making a joke here, I do think Canadian men are a lot nicer than American men. I really do. I mean, I'm not saying there's not jerks in, in all countries. <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, I went on a date with a guy here in L.A., and he bought me a latte, and he's like, can I choke you now? And I'm like, no, I don't have health care.
3: <laughs> yeah, we, we do have big benefits in uh, in Canada when it comes to the the, the choking and healthcare care system.
7: Yeah, no, it's not Elected, everybody was asking me to marry them. They knew I was Canadian. Like all these people wanted to wanted me to bring them to Canada. So it's good to be Canadian.
3: Absolutely. I mean, how has the transition been for you? You know, moving to L.A. from Canada. I mean, quite a culture shock.
7: You know what? It was. I mean, it has been a while, but I do work in Canada a lot. But it is weird to go from Los Angeles and then go home to Nova Scotia. And I definitely think it's changed me in some ways, of course. You know? Like, uh, I mean, it makes you a little bit more... Is snobby, a, is snobby a good word to use, you? you know?
3: I don't see why not. No, <laughs> so my sister said I'm snobby
7: now. Like, she was out at the Walmart, and she's like, uh, someone told me you're a snob now since you moved to L.A., and I was like, Oh, hey, you were at Walmart? Gross. <laughs>
3: anyway. I see what you <laughs> yeah, did there. these are just jokes. These are jokes. The nude material ones. Oh, right I know. I know. <laughs> But the truth
7: is, um, yeah, it is, I'll be honest, like it is really tough to move out here, but I will say there's a lot of Canadian comedians out here, and Canadian comedians have a really good reputation in LA. Like if they're like, oh, you're from Canada, we know you're going to be funny. I mean, there's enough Canadian comics out here that people know are good that that also helps me but it is tough but I'm a regular at the comedy Mag- comedy and magic club in Hermosa Beach which is a which is a huge club and I play the laugh factory sometimes but it it is tough sometimes with other clubs when they change bookers and you know there's a lot of cliques in LA and I'm sure it's the same thing in Canada but um that's where it's the tough part is. I don't have an agent or manager. I book everything myself, so it can be it can be a little tough. I don't know if that answered your question, but uh, yeah, the the transition is tough because I, when I'm in LA, I do not feel attractive in any way, and when I come back to Canada, <laughs> like I'm back to Canada, I feel more attractive. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about Canadians. I'm just saying the most beautiful people in the world get off the plane every day and move to to Los Angeles to model or act or you know they're the best looking person in their high school or university or whatever. And so when I go to the grocery store near my house it looks like women from a ma- like right out of a, a magazine. So you know when I when I go to Ottawa and
3: everyone has a winter coat on and is eating a beaver tail. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a look right there. But I just People are like, you know, when you go to Canada or anywhere else in the United States,
7: you know, people don't necessarily have their lips done and breast implants and now it's butt implants and people have their eyebrows tattooed on and like even girls in their 20s, like everyone has, they call it rich face, but everyone has like (laughs) work done. And so, and everyone's trying to tell me, you know, get Botox and I'm like, no, I'm going to go to Ottawa. (laughs) Freeze my face there. So. I don't know if you knew this about me, but anyway, when I lived in Ottawa, I was a very heavy drinker, uh, so I don't have a lot of memories. (laughs) I have a lot of, I mean, I had a lot of fun in Ottawa. A lot of it I don't necessarily remember, but um, I had a lot of fun. But I don't really, I'm not really a drinker anymore. Like I had to, I had to get help with it. So I was going, I was going to meetings to quit drinking and I was in Weight Watchers. So I mixed the meetings up. I don't know if you're familiar with either meeting, but I went to the wrong one, and <laughs> I went to the wrong one, and, um, you know, I got up to talk, and I was like, um, my name's Tracy, you know, I think I have a problem. I woke up naked next to a stranger, and uh empty bottle of Jack Daniels next to my bed, and they're
3: like, way to get off the Rocky Road ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> it has a lot of points. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you
7: see? Don't you see why I should be on every radio station at all? I mean, they should have me on.
3: Absolutely. Well, no no one's listening to the radio these days, so they need to do something. Oh, you
7: mean more people are listening to podcasts.
3: You got it. Okay. Yeah, I'm a shameless self-promoter. I'm sorry. I'm trying to give myself a pat on the back here, because nobody else will. God dang it.
7: No, I think that's amazing. I think um, me and my friend... Me and my friend started a podcast out here, but we haven't uploaded anything yet. And uh, it's tough because whenever she
3: starts dating someone, I don't hear from her. <laughs> oh, one of those. <laughs> That's tough when you have a podcast
7: partner because you're kind of at the mercy of the partner. So it was good when I did radio today, but I just, you know, he just kind of... Uh, keep them laughing <laughs> you know what I mean you can't get into that's what's great about a podcast that's why everybody wants to listen to a podcast they're so like wow I'm everybody's telling me their whole life story right you say
3: yeah, I mean, you you certainly can get into things that you can on commercial radio. And I just, because people ask me still, because, you know, podcasts, although they're very big and you have a lot of celebrities doing them, it's still not as big in Canada. So I get a lot of people asking me all the time, like, well, what's a podcast? So I tell them it's like craft radio. You know, it's like you like craft beer. You want something with more flavor and, you know, more Care and whatnot put into the product—that's what a podcast is, you know. It's uh, there's something for uh, for every flavor palette, if you will.
7: Well, that's very smart of you because I'm telling you, every single comedian out here in LA has a podcast. <laughs> like every <laughs> single, literally every person—even I shouldn't just say comedians, but like everyone you talk to has a podcast. So if if you're in a place where there's not as many, that's actually really smart. I am
2: too smart. I am too smart. SMRT I mean S M A R R T Yeah
7: my, my ex boyfriend lives in Ottawa and he told me a while ago that I've been trying to get back at him, so my therapist told me to stick pins in a voodoo doll and pretending it's him. But I got a hold of him the other day, he lost weight and he quit smoking, so it turned out I was
2: just given him acupuncture. <laughs> Oh, geez.
3: You're going to have to send him a bill. So, <laughs> that stuff ain't cheap. No, and also, also what I was going to tell you about Tim Hortons
7: is, and this is a true story, I swear to God, true story about Tim Hortons, since in the news they're talking about the minimum wage being raised in Ottawa and what's happening with the people at Tim Hortons. I went to Afghanistan to entertain the troops and they have a Tim Hortons on the base the Canadian troops and I went in there and a guy I went to high school with was working there. It was super awkward because he's like, Tracy McDonald, I... someone told me you're doing stand-up out here and I was like, Colin, you're working at Tim Hortons still. <laughs> 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 I was like, I guess she checked off willing to travel. Um, but, uh, but no, he really he really did work out there So, and I was telling my sister this story and she's like, oh my God, you should put that in your act. But uh Yeah, there was actually a rocket attack in Afghanistan when I was there. So me and all the entertainers hid in the cement, you go in a cement bunker. And so the next day I was talking to him and I said, oh, that was scary last night. What cement bunker did you go to? And he's like, well, we're at Kim Horton's, you know, we don't close. Um, I had to just lie on the
5: floor under the donut. <laughs> it's not funny it's a true story but i was like
7: i felt bad asking for the fruit explosion but, um, so i mean you should have um radio stations people should air this so that the people at Tim Horton's might not be getting some of their benefits in the break but at
3: least you're not in afghanistan hiding under donuts you know what i mean this is true it could be worse it could be worse it could
7: be worse <laughs> everything could be worse
3: well, uh, you're, you're you're coming to Ottawa to do uh, the Valentine's Day shows and whatnot. There, I mean, did big plans for Valentine's Day. Other than that, I mean, but you're you're out in L.A., so I'm I'm guessing you know the dating scene's a little screwed up there. What, are you going to rekindle an old flame here, or what's what, what's happening well, for you? I have a lot of exes, as I told you. I used to drink
7: a lot. Um, <laughs> a lot of exes in Ottawa. I have an ex fiance in Ottawa. I have an ex boyfriend in Ottawa. I think they live close to each other now. Um, most people are all married now, but. Uh, don't know if there will be anything um, rekindled because I did win money. I did a show called Star Search and I won a bunch of money and I moved to Hollywood. I know that sounds like a typical Hollywood story. But I did want him to come with me, and he didn't want to come to Hollywood, and I did give him some money for his time with me, you know. Um, But I think he might actually come to my show, and in case I forget, I was going to tell you the Tuesday through Sunday, every show is at 8.30 aside from the Friday and Saturday night, I believe it's 8 o'clock and 10.30 and the Sunday is 8 o'clock. But as far as I know for Valentine, I think I'm going to be in a condo with a couple comedians. That sounds dirty, but, um, um, I think I'm just going to just do the show, which I think will be really fun. It will probably be all couples. And then, you know, hang out with some of the Canadian comedians afterwards and just talk about a comedy in the old days. I don't know. That probably doesn't sound fun to you, but, you know, that's kind of... That's probably what I'll be doing. I won't be... Um, I won't be doing anything romantic that I know of. I don't know. Maybe I'll have a groupie. I've never I've never been with a groupie before. Like, someone that's been a groupie. Uh, sometimes comedians get groupies. I know when male comedians get groupies, they're just like, uh, see you later. <laughs> but women comics don't typically get, it's not like when you're, I feel like when you're a male comic, women are just like, oh my god, you're so funny, and a lot of women want to, you know, be with a funny guy, but if you're a funny woman, they're kind of, like, I brought dates to my show and they have left. Laugh. so <laughs> I think men get intimidated by if you're a funny, strong woman, I don't know, or maybe it's because I'm neurotic, but um there's not a lot of men that are like, oh man, I want to hook up with a female comic, does that make sense to you?
3: Yeah, no, I, I I get what you're saying. I mean, there's a lot of chicken shit guys out there. Well, I think I think they did it. They literally did a study,
7: of, Um, it's a document, this British documentary. But they literally did a study and said, uh, "Funny women don't get as many dates or attract attract as many men. More of them are single." And I I I don't know if it means the guy's chicken shit, but a lot of there's some men that go, "Oh, I want to be the funny one," or "I don't want her to be the funny one." But a lot of comics, or certainly me. I'm, I mean, I can be pretty serious off stage. I'm not somebody that's constantly like cracking jokes. But, uh, you know, I think every woman comic, you know, wants a funny guy and wants a guy to be funny too. But that's, that's not just a misconception. They did re- they literally did research. I told somebody to walk, watch the documentary. I was like, why would I watch that? I live it. <laughs> but it, it's just a little bit tougher. They think you're going to make fun of them or they think you're going to put them in your act. Uh, which it's actually a very big compliment to be put in an
3: (laughs) act. Absolutely. I mean, I I came from the music world, so, you know, I think it's just like writing a song about someone. It's like, be honored, you know, whatever is said, that the person cared enough about you to to do so.
7: Yeah, it's a huge compliment. Unless you're saying something really mean, but, I mean...
3: Well, I'm not Alanis Morissette.
7: (laughs) Yeah, no, I just had, like, I've had people say, oh, no, am I going to end up in your comedy act and i just think well no i don't think so <laughs> i mean if you do that's a huge compliment whether it's mean or not because it means i don't know it means i'm thinking about you and speaking about you on stage and i don't know it's, yeah i didn't getting too deep there but
3: yeah. oh. <laughs> that's okay we, we we could use a little more depth on the on the air i think Okay. And in order to keep our broadcasting license, we devote Sunday night dead time to public service shows of limited appeal. We'll get wrapping this up, but you've you've got an album out, right?
7: I do, I do. I have an album on um if you buy it on
3: iTunes I make one penny. That's good coin. I have an
7: album on C D <laughs> baby. And uh it's just called Tracy McDonald live in Los Angeles and, and people can Google it. I think it's nine ninety nine and uh it's got a little bit of my old stuff because people always like a bit of the old stuff, but it's got a lot of newer material. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on my third album now, but, um, the one that's out, the live in Los Angeles one is, it's only like a year and a half old or something, but yeah, it's on CD baby. If people want to follow me on Facebook, it's at trace comic. Twitter is Trace McDonald And, uh, Instagram is, I believe, it's Headliner Tracy McDonald, but I'm I'm pretty easy to find. There's me and there's a bodybuilder. It's kind of funny. There's a bodybuilder from Nova Scotia named Tracy McDonald, and we have fought over websites before. Uh, <laughs> but I've made fun of her on the radio, and forgetting that you know she's from Canada too and lives in California. But she's you know found out anytime I made fun of her on the radio, if she sent me a message. I'm. <laughs> I'm not going to make fun of her anymore. I'm just saying, if anyone Googles me right now that's listening to your podcast and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to look up Tracy McDonald in a bikini. You'll find Tracy McDonald in a bikini, but it won't be me. It will be the bodybuilder Tracy McDonald in a bikini. And she's very jacked. Grease me up, woman. Okie okay, dokie. Well, they always say in life, people are three decisions away from being homeless. And I think stand-up comedy is the first one. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You might have a point there. One of the very first jokes I thought of in Ottawa,
7: and it is a true story, I was walking down Bank Street, and this guy was asking me out. This guy kept asking me out, and uh, I was like, Look, buddy, uh, I'm a stand up comic. You're homework. I can't date anyone that makes more money than me. <laughs> and that was one of my first jokes I told in Ottawa. <laughs> oh.
3: Well, it, yeah, the same can be said for a musician.
7: <laughs> exactly. Oh no, the guy I was in to was a musician.
3: So yeah, I get it. Well, holy thunder and Jesus. Right. Okay, I'll end on this one. What do you miss most about Canada?
7: What do I miss the most? I mean, I but remember I do go to Canada a lot. What do I what do I miss? As soon as I step off the plane, um Like, the smell of the air, the air smoke cleaner, the people are much, much nicer. I mean, I don't want to say bad things about America. I'm just saying. I do think the people are are nicer and kinder, even when you're on a plane full of Canadians, you know? The healthcare, the prime minister,
3: (laughs) Donald Trump, a lot
7: of things, Tim Hortons, um, and believe it or not, I mean, it is a beautiful, sunny day here in L.A., but I think people are like oh my gosh you're crazy but I I kind of sometimes I miss the snow and having my winter boots on and the coat and being out and just hot chocolate and I don't know there's something about the snow that I think that's what makes people humble and funnier and um makes you appreciate the indoors more I'm sorry to sound really cheesy but I just think that's what I miss um I will say this, I know this isn't a, this is a bit of a, a sad note, but uh, my father, uh, my father passed away in, um, just in November, I was very close to my father, he was, the whole reason I became a comedian, and I, My first Christmas without him. So I was out here in Los Angeles at a place called the Angie Grill, and I got a little jealous because I saw this, you know, this father with his daughter, and he was obviously, you know, getting her a meal, and they were, you know, they were showing us cash. I was thinking, maybe it's my father. And I was like, that's so sweet. And then I saw him grab her ass,
5: and I realized, oh, that's your sugar daddy. This is L.A. (laughs) (laughs) So... So the most thing I miss is,
7: you know, I, I miss my dad. I miss people that are together, that are the same age. <laughs> and um just all around, the, the sense of humor, the sense of community, and just the sweetness of Canadians, you know? And I think I still have that. I, I joke, and people say I can bit of, be a bit of a diva, but I was a diva when I was in Canada, too, you know? <laughs> so, um not a diva, but I like you know I like things a certain way. I guess. But uh, yeah, that's what I'll, As soon as as soon as I get to, I think I'm flying through Calgary first. But as soon as I get to Canada or get on a plane with Canadians, I feel like you know what I mean just like I can breathe again. Meanwhile, as soon as every as soon as everyone voted for me when I got on an American show on Star Search, I was like. Oh, say see? I took off and went to LA. But um <laughs> but there is more opportunity here I think. But I think I wasn't given as much opportunity in Canada a lot of the times. So I was overlooked on some stuff so I came here. But um there's nothing quite like Canada and I'm gonna run for Prime Minister. Okay,
3: <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> on that note,
7: I sounded really like patriotic, but uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to go. People are like, oh, you have to go to Ottawa, it's going to be so cold, and then you're playing Toronto. You know, it's like, I'm playing Ottawa, and then I'm going to Florida, and then I'm going to Toronto. So it's, I'm very lucky I get to play in both countries. And uh I'm really looking, I think it's going to be a really fun week if, if people can come out. It's going to be, it's not going to be any of the material they've seen before, and it's, you know, all, all your act as you get older, all it can do is pretty much go up, you know. It's just, you can only get better. I think. I don't think I got worse. <laughs> but I think, you know, as a comedian, the great thing is, the great thing is, age, when you age as a comedian, it can be tough as a woman, but in reality, you can only get funnier, you know? That's the great thing about being a comedian, you can only, you know, if I was a model, maybe like, ah, you're done. But I'm a comedian, so I can do this till I'm old.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not like being an athlete, right? You can, you know, with decent health, you can pretty much do it forever.
7: You can But also, it is better for women. I hope it will get better for women. Like Joan Rivers had an amazing career, but she she also like had to. She I guess she didn't have to, but she also completely Botoxed her face. I'd like to see, just you know, I'd like to see. I know maybe I shouldn't say Louis C.K. I know Louis C.K. is not really someone that people people might not not necessarily look up to him right now with everything that's gone on. But I just wanted to say when it comes to somebody like him and his stand-up comedy, you know, or anybody, or, or Chris Rock or anybody, yeah. they there's a lot of, you know, older men in comedy that are just, you know, crushing it. And I think there needs to be more, and there is starting to be, but there needs to be, you know, more women in the same category that are older that are talking about their life. Hopefully, it'll be me. Um, but um, that's what I'm hoping to see more of, just like a woman that doesn't have it doesn't have massive plastic surgery, but is just amazingly killer funny. Like, like Roseanne could be that, but she went the class. You know, she. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to not to not get all that stuff done. Like, well, I better look fuckable, but I hope no one wants to fuck me, or they're in
3: trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> gets, how confusing. get get started confusing, on those man. menopause jokes, I guess, Trace. <laughs> oh well, I'm I'm far from that, thank God. But yeah,
7: but no, no, no. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. No, no, a woman that's not—that's not necessarily, you know. I mean, I guess she could talk about that, but not necessarily talking about menopause. Just like a, you know, an older woman talking, just like a guy does, without all the consequences. Um, that's what I—that's what I would like to see more of. But for now, I'm just going to do dick
3: jokes. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with a good dick joke. Oh, what do
7: they say about Amy Schumer? They say someone said like uh, Carol Burnett opened the front door for women,
5: and Amy Schumer opened the back. <laughs> <laughs> Tina Fey said that. I didn't say that, but Tina
3: Fey gets credit for that. But I thought that was funny. Yeah, but, um, it's pretty good. But it's a lot better. For, I'm just saying it's a lot better for women, comics, and women
7: actresses, and everything. Like it's it's more it's it's a lot better for us now. It's a women's revolution. So please come see me in Ottawa, February <laughs> thirteenth to eighteenth.
3: Outstanding. Well, uh, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, and I hope you have some great shows up in Ottawa.
7: Thanks so much,
3: Casey. Okay, bye. Hey, no problem. Take care. Part talk show, part rock show, you are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Well, you are
1: an entangled inebriate, are you not? This happens to be a Reagan contraption of my own devising against repeated accidental falls that has temporarily malfunctioned.
3: That was my conversation with comedian and comedy writer Tracy McDonald. Once again, Tracy is performing live at Absolute Comedy in Ottawa February 13th to 18th. For reservations, hit absolutecomedy.ca slash Ottawa or call the box office at 613-233-8000. You
0: should do that. You should do that right now.
3: All right, Rapscallions, it's time for me to shut things down, and I know that because there's a strange smell in the air. Not the usual smells here at Motel Ferguson, such as my hygiene-deficient neighbors or the Aroma of their crack pipes and or urine i just put a tea in the microwave without any water and burn the goddamn thing like a fucking moron so that tells me i shouldn't be touching or doing much of anything except for myself of course which is clearly already damaged anyway amen brother look i know valentine's day is a tough one for some of you out there but my advice is this instead of thinking about the problems you have think about the problems you don't have you picking up what I'm laying down? Mind your fucking decimals. I want to thank my guests, Ron bumblefoot Paul Ryan Lambert, and Tracy McDonald. Thanks to all the bands and the reps for the kick-ass tunes. Thank you to my sponsors, and of course, thank you for listening. River Dogs will play us out with a track called The Heart is a Mindless Bird. Remember, to have what we want is riches, but to be able to do without is power. Until next time, this is Casey Ferguson, over and out.
4: No easy way back home No faster way to go only lose your way, yeah. The lesson ends where it begins. The heart is a mind.